going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast Morning Edition. The and Morning episode Edition. Uh, 39. Look Ooh. at that. Woohoo. We should have done the Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but we're not doing Good Morning Vietnam yeah, this week true. on the show. Unless true. you watched it during the week. No, I did not. But I just thought, you know, it's early. It's probably the earliest we've recorded a show before. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, we're bright and bright eyed and bushy tailed right now. I know. We're just, we're just busy men. I always think that's lives. a weird expression. Like Which the bright eyed and bushy tailed. I don't get it. Is it because you're meant to be like a squirrel? Is that I, like that sort of the thing? Yeah, I guess you're 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 not a human in that. Yeah, you're in a that, furry. <laughs> in that circumstance. Yeah, look at that. It took a uh, thirty five seconds for me to bring up a furry. Yeah, man. <laughs> no it took it longer than I expected, to be honest. <laughs> How are you, Jake? <laughs> yeah, I'm alright. I'm tired, but I'm kicking kicking ass, you know. Yeah, and taking names. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Can, caught, am I not allowed to just do one of those two things? No, you can. I, I said to you before the show, and I know our audience can't visually see you, but <laughs> if you guys have played GTA Five, <laughs> Jake is legitimately dressed exactly like Michael DeSanta from that game. <laughs> he is wearing a white shirt with a denim sh- denim button shirt open and denim pants right now. And I've got the I got my the, the my shirt the the first layer of shirts. I got it tucked in, so all the fat's yeah. like right at the front. So. Oh. It's, the Michael DeSanta look is perfect, and, spot on. And legitimately, yeah, <laughs> just like even Jake's hairstyle right now, it's like he looks like he's about to like start swearing and hating on his life. About to start beating up like radio hosts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. See, look, I brought up a game this week. But anyway, this is yeah, not a game. this is your fault. This sir. ain't a game podcast. This is a movie podcast. Cinema Sideshow podcast. Absolutely. Whoa. Jake, have you caught any films this weekend? I've caught a lot of films this past week. Yes. Which is, here's the thing. This is probably a bad, because I, I started doing this thing at Fanbase where I've tried to rent six films a week because it's cheap enough that I'm not really losing a lot of money, but mm. it's also incentive enough to have to sit down and watch these films across the week. Not to mention supporting your local rental Absolutely, yeah, you know, which you got to do. X-Rental out on the 25th of October. <laughs> um, no, but it, it's absolutely right. So it's like kind of the perfect amalgamation to force me to watch movies. And I probably picked the worst time to do it. I'm way yeah. too busy to be yeah. able to do that, but I've tried it. So I'm trying to figure the last one. I guess I guess Hugo. I watched Hugo so it's the from Scorsese. Scorsese. CGI one, right? Like, yeah. It has a lot of CGI in it. It does, but you know what? It was a really, really good film. Yeah? I was like, this is actually awesome. Okay. I just I just really dug it. Like, the, the style and the atmosphere, and you've mm. got that young... Did it feel not like a Scorsese film? Um, yes, in a sense. I think it was strange, because you're right. I was watching it very much like... There's a bit too colourful and a bit mm-hmm. too splendid, you know, to feel like Scorsese. A little, a little less swearing. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it feels like Scorsese just like, you know what, screw it, love letter to cinema. And it really is. Like, I didn't actually know that going in that most of this film is actually about filmmaking to okay. an extent, which was really interesting. I'm always a little iffy about that. Like, I know I I tend to, like, I don't want to make films about films in the future because mm-hmm. it feels a little too in your own head maybe yeah but um i think it actually really worked in this because it really does feel like a genuine love letter and it's not like scorsese wrote and directed it he got given a script to do this mm-hmm. or he got given the i think like the the book that this was based on and then yeah hired out to to get a script written for it but it was i don't know i just it was a really splendid time okay i really enjoyed that um i lost my kubrick virginity 
as well this past week. That's a that's a classic one. What did classic. you lose it to? I lost it to two films. I firstly lost it to Full Metal Jacket. That's right, two in one night, Zeke. You know, two in one night. Yeah, well, if I'm losing my Kubrick virginity, it's going all over the place, yeah. all in one spot. You know, it's got to be at least seven hours of Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, these two films weren't that long, actually. If yeah, we're going to talk if, about I can't recall Full Metal Jacket, how long it is. I think it's about two hours. It's like 2.20. Might be just under two, actually. Might really? be just under, yeah. Feels longer than that. The, <laughs> well, here's the thing. So I've, I've watched Full Metal Jacket, mm-hmm. and every five seconds I'm like, ah, oh, yep, yeah, I've seen this pop fiction reference. Pop, pop, did I say pop fiction? This pop... What's Popular the term? culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop culture. Yeah, pop culture. That's what the word yeah, I was looking for. Yeah, film reference. Yeah, exactly. Film I've, homage. I've seen, yeah, I've seen this here. I've seen this here. I've seen this here. We Simpsons um, have used it at least so 20 times. So many Simpsons yeah. references Homer in, in the Full Metal Jacket, like mm-hmm. universe, if you will. Yeah. Um, which I thought was pretty funny. And actually, there's one joke. There's one Simpsons joke in the late 17th season where Homer's a... <laughs> no, he's in the military and... and um. He's like given all this food and all this like stuff to do while everyone else has to do the push ups. And I was like, this is a weird joke. But then I realized it's in reference to this film. Yeah. So, yeah. No, um, I really loved the film, not as much as the one that, that preceded it that night. But the I thought the whole film at first was going to be in the base camp. Mm. And I was a little, little disappointed this that it wasn't. This film has a very strange, it's a two act structure, it's not a three. Yeah, it's two giant parts to it. It's kind of like it's kind of like how life is beautiful. The first half is very much like, oh, it's fun, romantic sort of. Second half is, oh, shit, Nazis, yeah. you know, um, in it's, that it sense. It really is. I think, like, that was the whole thing that's hallmarked it as a unique film is it literally is two parts. It's not three-act structure mm. definitively. Our main character doesn't really go through an arc. He just goes through an experience. Well, even watching the film, it's like you're trying to figure out who the main character is yeah. for half of it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I thought it was going to be the dude who, you know, spoiler alert, the film's not very new. <laughs> no. But I thought it would be the dude who actually ended up shooting up the, the, the sergeant and, and then killing yeah. himself. And I thought that was going to be the main dude. And I thought the whole film was going to be this nice, like, pressure cooker of him going insane but it ends up only being the first like half film and i was yeah. like kind of wanted to see what the full version and that's looks what the like. strange sort of if you really look um we we can reference back to homages and popular culture that mm. this film had and led such a le- left such such a legacy to um it's always references to the first half of the film, never the second half. Of the film. Mm. Second half of the film is is very much just them going to war, and it turns into, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's still an important part of the story, particularly the last act, like the last part. The last like bit is incredible. Yeah, but yeah, we can get into that. In a but um, if you really think about all of the iconic referenced moments over film in the next thirty, forty years preceding mm. when Full Metal Jacket came out. It's always with the sergeant at the base camp stuff, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. Like, you know, everything from when so he clever. first walks in the room mm. and he's just screaming at all of them <laughs> and he's just, like, unloading on all of them and then they do that POV shot, like, oh, my him, God. like yeah. screaming down at them. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's, like I said, that first chunk is really incredible and I, I, can, I, forgive, I can forgive the story being a little 
little slightly less interesting in the second half just because of the miss on scene and the mm. production value. Like there's that tracking shot of them like walking down the dirt road and there's just like tank after tank after tank after tank after helicopters. Yeah. Like in the back. I'm like, this is insane. Yeah. Like from a production set, this is like what in the world is going on. Yeah. Um and to go back to that little ending bit, I wanted to give a shout out to the the score. They use, I mean the score is incredible throughout yeah. this whole thing. There's so I didn't realise Kubrick loved the source music so much. Like mm. taking you know, music established music and just throwing it in there, like um, bloody what's the what's the credits? What's the credits roll? It's um, it's a Rolling Stones. Oof. Is that it? It might be. I think it's I'll, Rolling Stones. I'd have to fact check that. Fact. One. I added it to my playlist, so I should know that. But um, no, like I was surprised by how much even the very first shot, the very first shot to establish to me who Kubrick is as a director, is you know these people having their head shaved to 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 source music to mm. like. Not a track they created for the movie, but it was like, oh, it was fascinating. But the, the music they do do for the film, especially towards the end, when they're sneaking in to kill that sniper, is just fucking awesome. Yeah. It's so good. It's sort of strange when you think about it, because you think of the year Full Metal Jacket came out, and mm. um, if we talk about source mu- music in, in cinema, um, you know, that stuff, like taking pre-existing music and putting it into a film, like popular mm. culture music and putting it into film... That didn't start until Easy Rider in 1969. That's true. So that's, that's only point. 10 years earlier. And for someone like for um, Kubrick, who mm. at that point was quite old, like he wasn't young. He wasn't a young director at this point. I think this was the last film he made whilst alive. Yeah. I think his next film came out a few months after he passed away. Yeah. So yeah. it's like he wasn't young at this point. So for someone mm. of his age at that point to go on and use source that's kind of quirky in its, it's own right it's interesting yeah it yeah. just reminded me of breaking bad in a lot of ways like how often they use source music and how effectively they use yeah, Vince source Gilligan's music. no spring chicken so <laughs> um, yeah uh no but uh, absolutely um and then later that night I watched a clockwork orange and I haven't seen that watch it dude yeah it, you know what we should do an episode on it okay yeah. it's it's a masterpiece. It's fucking phenomenal. It's one of those ones. That I'm I'm very absent on my Kubricks. I have not seen. I've seen scenes from 2001. Yep. Um, <laughs> I have seen like obviously the most iconic scenes from 2001. Yep, I've yep, seen yep, those. Yep. Um, I haven't seen The Shining. I haven't seen A Clockwork Orange. Full Metal Jacket's, I think, the only Kubrick film oh, I've well, seen. Oh, there you go. We, we matched at one point in our lives. Yeah. And then I, I went to, I went ahead and watched this I film. I can't think Bloody of, another me. of another one from him I've watched. Um, you've got, like, Fear and Desire, Doctor Strange Love. Oh, okay, um, I've seen Strange Love. Oh, well, there you go. And uh, Great Spartacus as well. Mm. And uh, I'm trying to remember the one. He did it with, like, I think he did it with Tom Cruise, the one he did. I'm trying to remember what it was called. But it, Whoa, Strange Love's so good. Man, we got to do an episode on Strange Love. I'll match uh, you on that. That can that could probably be a director's corner. It's early yeah. enough, I think, in his pretty amazing career. But um Well so, that that came in my collection, little Blu-ray collection I bought. Oh well, it, was, I, it was Strange Love, Fear and Desire and, and uh, Spartacus. So well, I hope know. you enjoy that because it's a funny well, it's not a funny film, but it's like sort of got like that perfect line between drama like tragedy and comedy in the sense that it's like you're laughing but you're like laughing because you're like ha the world's that fucked (laughs) (laughs) well i'm curious from that standpoint because these two films are way later in kubrick's um like full metal jacket and a clockwork orange are are further along in his career so i'm watching a master 
who's sort of already mastered his craft. So I'm excited mm. to go back and see how he kind of grew into that. It's interesting because it's always, uh, I mean, we'll probably touch on it a little bit more in a, in a director's corner, mm. but just like off the top of, I've watched Strange Love and Full Metal Jacket, which are, like you said, they're about 15 years apart from each other. Yep. Um, and they both have a lot of uh, exaggerated characters. Mm. Um, or they or their central characters are quite exaggerated and everyone else is relatively grounded around them. For example, the sergeant in Full Metal Jacket Absolutely, yeah. is insane. He's almost comical <laughs> at points how full on he is. But like I watch that and I don't even think that, that that's off. I feel like no. I, I feel like that guy exists for sure. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's maybe to do with the fact that everyone around him is so like especially technically the central character mm. in this film yep, as yep, we yep. discover. There's really not that much special about him. He's incredibly... My boy Joker. Is that the Joker, dude? That's his nickname, yeah? The main think, guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he's incredibly just normal. He's mm. just a witness to often everything around him, basically. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how he ends up getting the role of protagonist because you're right, he's the, he's the guy, he's the observer, he's the one that's kind of... He sees all the shit that's going on. Yeah. And he ends up being our lens for the story as well. So. Basically, yeah. Yeah. What else did you catch this week, Jay? Um, so yeah, again, a Clockwork Orange. So much. It's just a masterpiece. We got to do that film okay. one week, and I think it's one of my favorite soundtracks of all time ever. Wow, it's just oh, it's so good. Like the original score, yeah, is incredible. Um, I watched Where the Wild Things Are, with Spike Jones, because I was really curious. I've also not seen this film. This is one of those Jones films I really got to get around to. Yeah, well, he's only directed four features. I only found that out the other day. That's weird. Yeah, he did Especially this with, and like, her and um, what was the first one again? Ooh. The Malkovich one, is that it? Oh, being John Malkovich. Yeah, I think that was his feature debut. I think you are correct. And then I think he had one in between that. Is it Adaption? Is that one of his? That sounds correct. I think Adaption's one of his too. That sounds right. But with I, Nicolas I finally, Cage. I finally watched Where the Wild Things Are because I remember when this came out and I remember this being a big deal. And uh, <laughs> I looked up the return. The budget was $100 million. Guess how much money it made? It made like nothing. It made a hundred point one million. Hey. So it made point one million of its money back. Technically a success. <laughs> they count that as a success. Oh, well, you know, yeah. There you go. <laughs> but I thought here's the thing. So I watched this kind of expecting it to be a twist, like with the monsters and stuff, because I remembered hearing that somewhere that like the monsters end up chasing the kid or like they turn on him or something like. That. I, I had no idea. I just heard this, and I finally watched the movie. And nothing quite like that happens. Yes, adaptation was the other one. Ah, beautiful. There you go. So there's these four films right yep. there. We got. We'll do a. We'll do a her show for sure. I think it's. We've booked it in. We've booked. We've booked the slot for her. Yeah. But uh, we'll see how we go. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Um, yeah. This film was. Just, it was just interesting. Like the story didn't really grab me all that much. I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, it's happening. It's, you know, this kid and he goes on the side and he finds his monsters and. And I get it. I get the film. It's about his, you know, childhood and all of that. I get it. But I don't know. I just it didn't grab me so much. I was impressed by all the visual stuff because mm-hmm. the monsters are like if they're they're a combination of things, you know, CGI and puppeteering and all these things and the fur and the movement and like it just all looks great. Okay. I was like, this looks awesome, and the way they move and bounce because they can jump really high and stuff. Really happy with that stuff. It looked awesome. But. I don't know. The story just it just didn't grab me, and I just I kind of forgot that I saw it a day later. You mm, know, interesting. Which is a shame because I love her so much. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's yeah. is it kind of Narnia esque 
in its like. It's definitely less spectacle than Narnia. Like, mm. I mean, Narnia makes a big deal about, look look at all this stuff. Mm. And this film's very much like, you know, these monsters are pretty cool, but they're their own people. And, and we're focused more on them being actual characters mm-hmm. as opposed to like these big, you know, conglomerate fiends. You know? What's funny you say that because I watched all the Narnia films in the last week. Whoa, yeah. look at that. That was a clever little That a little segue you, right yeah. there. That's that's impressive, sir. Yeah, so I, I revisited them because I had this... Just, just, I was just looking through my DVDs, mm. and I have only the first one on DVD. Um, the the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. wardrobe. Yep. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I was like, I really did hold this film really high in regard when mm. it came out. I think it came out like 2006, 2007. Yeah, I definitely saw it in a theatre too, I remember. And yeah, yeah you're right, around then. Around and it, then. Was, it was huge. It was a huge big film at the time. Deal, big deal. And like, <laughs> I wanted to see, it was like, Okay, does this film hold up? Because right, a lot okay. of people talk about like this this franchise really did unwind very quickly because it had a very good first film, right? And then it just fell apart after that. <laughs> so, have you watched the third one, the Dawn Treader one? I, I to be honest, I knew there were sequels. I just yeah. don't know anything about these. Okay. how many are there? So there's Prince Caspian, which is the second one. Okay, I think it is. I guess never even heard of it. Um, I'm going to have to double check the name of that one, but I okay. think it is Chronicles of Narnia and it's like Prince Caspian, but I'll quickly check that. Um, and then there's the Dawn Treader. Dawn Treader. Which is just a, them on a ship, but it's like only two of the kids. <laughs> are they running out of kids at this point? They are, because the whole thing is when they become adults, for some reason, they just... They, they die. They, they, they don't come back. <laughs> they all die at the age of 17. <laughs> yeah, so and it's, it's weird to think about it because it's like, I feel like... Okay, so, uh, yeah, so Prince Caspian was the second one, and then it was The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Okay, so it's a trilogy. Yeah, apparently there's a fourth one. Like oh, just, you didn't even know? Okay. I mean, I didn't know that. But. The Silver Chair, apparently. Oh, it's got, dude, it's got eyebrows, as Jack likes to call him. The guy from Detroit, or um, Where the Millers. I haven't He's, seen any of those films. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of one. Have I've you seen got that? eyebrows. You know how confused I was for a minute when you said that? Uh, Jack knows who I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so apparently... <laughs> Jack an email into the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there were three films that came out, 2005, 2008, 2010. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Were they like straight to DVD? Was it the deal? No, or? no, no. I saw all three of them Whoa, in the cinema. Oh, okay. Um, That's fascinating. Because you got to think, so that would make me, I would have been eight, 10, and 12 at those respective right. junctures. So, so totally good ages to analyse film on a criterion yeah. level. <laughs> but it was, it was really funny because that first one, I was still stand by it. I watched it and I actually was really entertained from like, it's so long though. It's like nearly two and a half, it's nearly three hours. Jeez. You know what I did? I, I, I watched film does that. I watched the original like miniseries-esque, like kind of what they did with it. I watched that version of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Yeah. I remember that and it was just so... It was very long, it was well over three hours, because it was like it. It was like a little sort of series type thing. And the effects were horrible. I remember the bats, like they painted the bats in to the frame to fly around. It just didn't look good at all. At pandemic but, um, levels. Yeah, pretty much, you know. But um, I just remembered that watching it after watching the, the 2000, what was it, 5? 2005. The 2005 version. I just like, wow, what happened? <laughs> that film is... Uh, I don't understand how they how a studio. I'm pretty sure it was commercially successful. I can't imagine it wouldn't have been commercially. It was huge at the time. I can't, yeah, like like surely. Um, and I can't <laughs> imagine how they went from the success of the first one because the second one just feels like 
the value just went skyrocketing down in right. a lot of ways. It's less visual effects heavy, I guess, or less fan. The second one's less fantasy. Right. It's more just kind of knights and some weird conquistador sort of stuff going on. <laughs> and, Fair enough, yeah. And, of course, yeah, that like the second one is the last one that has all four kids in it, but, like... Oh, okay, they got them all back sort of For the thing. second one, but the third oh, one, they sorry, lose yep. half the cast, yeah. And the third one is just such a nothing film. It's so... All right. No, lack of any sort of interest at any point. So, yeah. Yeah, it was two and a half hours on the dot, apparently. Insane. It's so, so long. You imagine being a child sitting in that that theatre? Yeah. Two and a half hours I mean, for a we kid's both film? Were. We both were. Yeah, I don't remember it being that long, though. Like, <laughs> I don't, Actually, the more I think about it, the more I don't remember literally a single thing about it. There's a wardrobe in there at some point. You should go back and rewatch it. It's, Maybe. It's surprisingly, like, pretty, pretty... It, it does pace pretty well. I don't think it's too long. It feels like... I know what it is. It's following Lord of the Rings. Because The Return of the King came out in 2005 too. Right, okay. So the Lord of the Rings slot was completely... And, of course, they were like, oh, J.R. Tolkien, that was great. Let's use C.S. Lewis's stuff now. (laughs) And, of course, I'm surprised Peter Jackson didn't get on something like this. He probably would have been too busy. Yeah, but it's like... Or would have been too same. I know that's exactly what they were trying to do. Because if Chronicles of Narnia actually has an M rating, I'm pretty sure. Or a PG thirteen. Oh. It's very like it walks. Yeah, okay. No, like I can see that. Yeah, it's a little less dark compared to Lord of the Rings, but it's like still enough to be like get that audience over. I think. Yeah. Um. So I have a budget and box office here. Okay. It, the budget was one hundred and eighty million, which mm-hmm. at the times that's, that's pretty big. Yeah, it made seven hundred and forty-five million back. So, so it made bank. It made bank. Yeah. So I don't understand. Where the second one went wrong because they they basically went hey you liked all that fantasy stuff in the first one they threw it out because the whole because <laughs> the, pro- the whole premise of the the second one Jake is basically like all of these just guys take yeah. over um like they take over Narnia so all mm. the mystical beasts are gone and it's like so you just took all of the fun stuff out <laughs> and now it's just a bunch of dudes. It's um, just a bunch of I have, an, I have another film that I watched in this last week that I want to talk about, but I want to throw it back to you before I get to mine because you're going to laugh at the film I watched. <laughs> okay, we'll see. But, okay, I've got one more film in here. I'm okay. pretty sure you actually watched this in the last week, though. Okay. It's called Do the Right Thing. I did watch that in the last week. I saw it last night. I did. Look at that. that. That's really handy. That wasn't the film I was going to talk about. Oh, but, okay, interesting. But No, well, I... I really really liked do the right thing that was right. really bloody good you reckon it's better than black Klansman? yeah yes yeah. easily yeah. i i wore that black Klansman. i mean obviously it has that gut punch ending mm-hmm. so it's hard to talk about because we watched it together that was one of the first films we ever watched together i think in a theater really probably we watched tag together <laughs> <laughs> just remember that we watched tag we watched solo together we watched yeah i don't know man it's It'd be funny to find that out actually we, we can go back for sure because we we wouldn't have watched any movies in a theater together in 2017, so it all it would all be in my letterbox account. It would all be like mm. logged in, so we can figure that out. Okay. Um. No, I I'm way on the Black Klansman because I just I don't know it's a fine film, Black Klansman, but I just mm. I don't know it just didn't have what this film have had. Excuse me, which was just such a like really clever way of telling a narrative. Like there's just so many points throughout where it just 
it kind of changes things up where the camera will whiz around to like a you know to piece the camera almost mm-hmm. and it will do that or lots of little music video-esque jumps the first four minutes is a music video it's crazy right yeah and i was like you know what i really appreciate this and like the community building how it's all like this one really hot day and how it kind of invokes everyone to get mm. violent and it's just the way they establish everyone it's like wow you really it's not that long it's a little under two hours but it's you know everyone so well that film that annoys film. me in the sense that it's annoying that people don't talk about that film enough like people right. have seen Black Klansman because I feel like Spike Lee's got to this point where he has a pretty big traction I think his name brings people in enough yeah, yeah. enough definitely um, mainly people that probably get him confused with Spike Jones. but it's, yeah that's the reason I watched Black Klansman I was like this guy did her what? Yeah, exactly. So that's <laughs> and I figured it out really late, and I was like, "Ooh, yeah, ooh, okay, but I got it." <laughs> I think he, yeah, you know, it's it's it comes back to um, innovation of a younger man mm. and, and uh, less money behind it, and some of the things he doesn't do the right thing. I'm not saying his later stuff isn't great because I still really enjoy Black Clansman. Right, right. There are sequences that we've talked about, like. I'm going to rewatch Black Clansman. Back on Blue Velvet, we talked about it, I think. Probably. Um, but, yeah, like, <laughs> back in the day. we talked about, like, some of the, the best parts with, like, the sermon with the faces and then the, the white power, black power oh, sequences. Yeah, 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 There's yeah. some great sequences in there. And I think this film, though, you can see where all of it's coming from. And it would be a great episode of, like, to do a director's corner. I would love corner. to do it there because there is a lot to talk about and it's just such a cleverly woven Absolutely. You know, I love that you can see like the physical apparatus of it. Like you can like of the film re- you can see it. You can just mm-hmm. see the film reel rolling as you watch the film and it I'm probably talking more figuratively, but I don't know, just this film, like it just feels like such a labor of love. You can see yeah. the effort that went into it. And I I don't know. I just really appreciate that. So why am I laughing, Zeke? What did It's really <laughs> what annoying. Did it's really it's it's bad when you do a film like do the right thing. And then I tell you. But you watched it too, so it's okay. I did. You, you even it out. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Aragon again. What the? What, why? I don't know. I went on a fantasy vendor, I guess. <laughs> uh, like, after the Narnia films, I was like, what other mediocre mid-2000s film could I watch? <laughs> God, I forgot that that was more than just a book. Yeah. It's one film. It got Jeez. one film, and it is a bad film. It is so bad. <laughs> like, this, the, the last half especially is yeah. like, who who agreed to make this film? Because what it was... Someone who watched it, Lord I told of the Rings. You, it, exactly what I... Exactly, dude. Like, yeah. Lord of the Rings created... So we always talk about the superhero franchise, but about in the early to mid-2000s, <laughs> fantasy was the big thing. We had Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean churning out movies right, left, right, yeah, and centre. We, we had Lord of the Rings finishing up, and that left a gaping hole for the medieval fantasy stuff. So we had Narnia, we had Aragon, we had King Arthur... And the Lost Man. Kingdoms, which was a Bruckheimer production. Imagine how bad Game of Thrones would have been if it came out that year. Yeah, in 2005. that's the funniest thing. Yeah. It's like we took a hiatus from all that stuff for a couple of years, and then Game of Thrones just inserted itself. And Game yeah. of Thrones didn't get big until about season three. Yeah, like, no, 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 one, no. Like everyone likes to think they're an OG Game of Thrones fan, but <laughs> that didn't get mainstream push because at that point. Walking Dead was at its peak point. Yeah. Breaking Bad was Breaking just about Breaking Bad rap. was just, so. yeah, it was like, it was in its prime too. I think it was at season... Season four, I think. Yeah. Which is absolutely the prime, yeah. Absolutely. So, Game of Thrones didn't pick up traction until the other shows left the building, basically. <laughs> they all left. Yeah. They clocked out. Yeah. And now, Cha-ching. like, when Game of Thrones started to wrap up, things like 
Westworld started to sneak in mm. and, and Mr. Robot started to sneak in and like other big big ones that I can't think of off the top of my head. It's interesting because we're in an age, and I don't want to get too on a tangent, but I think we're in an age with television where it's less about the big, you know, like the big free shows. It's like, yeah. no, it's just such a nice smooth scale of like really great shows. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you can't even be like, oh, we're in the Ozark age. It's like, no, because Ozark's like one of 50 great shows out right now. Man, I want to watch Ozark. Mm, I haven't seen it, but I just know it's like, Buddy, Buddy Bateman won Best Directing. I know. At the end. That was incredible. His no, reaction I, is brilliant. In all, in all seriousness, <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure Bateman did The Gift, which I think I'm going to double check that, but he's in it. Yeah. And that... He's even even if he doesn't direct it, which I think he did, he he's with it with Joel Edgington, and oh, okay. my boy Joel, Your love boy you. Joel. He's legitimately my favorite. Him and Ben Mendo, best Aussie actors right there. That's great. Fight me, um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, he did this film, and I really would encourage you to watch it called mm. The Gift, and he's in it, and he is just horrible. But, like, you just do not expect that from Jason Bateman. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the guy in Horrible Bosses, you know? Like, <laughs> he's in the silly sort of movies. He's normally in relatively light-hearted yeah. films. He very rarely... And, now, and, then and he's he got a very out, specific performance. And then he, he does, pulled out yeah. The Gift and where he's, like, this bully and he's, like, pushing, like, Joel Edgington's face with his boot into yeah. the, the curve and you're like, Jesus. what the frick and then and then you see like ozark where he's yeah. a drug runner or something like i think it's a drug runner yeah something like that uh, we gotta get on that show yeah absolutely but i just wanted to say erica i didn't have much to say about it it's a horrible film <laughs> that had the balls to think it could get a sequel <laughs> is there like a cliffhanger ending or yeah Oh no! Yeah, uh, the the big oh, no. king that does nothing but sit in a room the entire film <laughs> unveils the curtain. To ha- For some reason, he had a dragon behind a curtain the whole time. <laughs> a you dragon fell into my trap card. Yes. <laughs> like think about that. It's like it's like it's like a fifty foot dragon that was just behind a curtain the whole time. Like he's it's unveiling just like it like a match on little biscuits, and then the curtain is oh shit. <laughs> It's like it's hard to believe that there were other like dragon shows other than like How to Train Your Dragon, like uh, which it, was does legit. the dragon look terrible as well? Uh yeah, it's not great. Okay, it's not the worst. It's like it's. T- I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the 2009 like CGI. Yeah, it's bad. Okay, it, like it's legitimately like you just wonder yourself. You're like, this is what Narnia and Lord of the Rings did. It's right. made it made everyone be like, "Ooh, we're gonna cash in on that." You know, like money, Lord of the Rings. Mate. I mean, it made Hobbit films after it, right? Right, that's fair. It all made an absurd. I like the money. Hobbit film. I like the first two. I like the first two. <laughs> no, I don't like. I like the second one. That's the only one I like out of them. The actual scene when he's with the dragon. There you go. That that actual scene is yeah really cool. Yeah, and they set it up so good. They're like, "Oh my god, the dragon's about to unleash havoc," and then he dies in the first ten minutes of the third film. Spoiler. <laughs> Anyway, I was so high. that was my end game in twenty what was it twelve twenty I was in a I was in a yeah. Canadian theater like I was like it was like Christmas Eve when I saw that in yeah. like Whistler and they had like a oh, little wow, yeah. little baby like theater in in the middle of the, in Whistler like village and you went and I went and saw it and it was like you either got one of two choices you got Wolf of Wall Street or the second Hobbit film ah oh, that's I proceeded to watch both I guess they did come out at the same time yeah yeah, yeah look at that. No worries. Well, Jake, you got any uh, thing you want to add before we move into the second half of the show? 
Uh, not really. We can talk about my sneaky, sneaky double pay story in our careers section. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Should I? I don't know. It's going to get... Nah, nah. So I'll, I'll just put out a little tidbit to the audience. Okay. So, audience, if you're given the chance to do, uh, let's just say, some sort of uh, editing assignment or some sort of work where you kind of you, you know pick your own hours, you do your own work, you kind of sit in your little lab and you do whatever, and if you're able to do it in double time... You do it in double time. Tidbits from Jake. <laughs> well, it's time for us to move into our movie of the week, Jake. What are we watching? We're watching El Camino. I get Things go. I saw my face in me, and oh, I know I've changed the wild. Jesse must come to terms with his past in order to forge some kind of future. This gripping thriller mm. is written and directed by Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad. Oh, you, you did gripping thriller. Okay. I did. I just added it in there. You bloody lied this to me. Is a gripping thriller, El Camino, the Breaking Bad story event. Yeah. It's the been saying a epilogue, lot. Epilogue, really. It literally is the epilogue. Yeah. That's. It should be called El Epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, uh, Breaking Bad. We've right. been talking about Breaking Bad. I think it's one of the first things you and I had in common. Probably, yeah. Well, like I said last week, Breaking Bad is the reason I'm here in a lot of ways. It really is the... I've always wanted to make film. I remember when I was like seven, eight years old, I wanted to make... But Breaking Bad, when I watched that, I was 16. Yeah, I was about 16. And yeah. I, I, I just smashed through that show for maybe a month. And I was like, this is just this is just insanely mm-hmm. good. And I was just like, nope, I'm cemented. This is what I want to do. And it, it immediately led me to working on Evasion, which we all know... Well, my personal mates know what you evasion know, I, is, I, but yeah. I totally can see seeds of Breaking Bad and evasion oh, there when you I go. think about it. <laughs> I can think about, you know, like, you know, you see those earlier yeah, works and you yeah, see that, like, I mean, it, it comes back to even things like faces being directly influenced by Birdman. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's like, exactly. you know, I get I get that. It's sort of a thing you do as a younger filmmaker. I you watch something. the equivalent, maybe. Yeah. Definitely. I just kicked the table. Seeing as like the first four (laughs) minutes of Faces is literally dude walking around backstage, (laughs) basically. Uh, No, but um, so I mean Breaking Bad, that's my history for I love the show to death. I didn't even need to rewatch it to get into this film Mm -hmm. because I've rewatched the show hundreds of times. I actually sat down with my mum and watched it years ago. Mm -hmm. And to watch this film, it was me, my mum, my brother and his girlfriend. The four of us sat down on the couch, Mm -hmm. lights off. And uh, eight o'clock, we caught it, and we we watched it from start to finish. And there yeah. you go. So, what was your kind of intro into Breaking Bad or history? Intro to Breaking I Bad. Um, so I came late to the show. I came very late to the show. Mm. I came just as the mid-season finale for the final season came on. I know they've okay. now hallmarked them as two separate seasons. In a sense, it's like season five A and five B. But A M C at the time, mm. if I recall. They just love their mid-seasons. It's yeah. a mid-season finale. <laughs> like, come on. 
Like it, they yeah, do, they really did it with is. Walking Dead for like the last bajillion seasons. Since like the fourth season, maybe yeah, or the third, yeah, something like that. They like their mid. It was a mid-season finale. So when spoiler, can we just do spoilers for Breaking? Spoilers Bad? for Breaking Bad. Spoilers for El Camino in a moment. Yeah. yeah okay. So for the show. Yep. Um, I came in obviously upon the Hank discovering Walt's identity, mm. um, which is very important in this El Camino, which we'll talk about. Well, just like the relationships yeah, yeah, establishing because yeah. I watched El Camino with my girlfriend yeah, and um, she had never seen Breaking Bad. Oh, so we had to watch the recap. That's interesting. And then I proceeded to pause and be like, okay, do you have any questions before <laughs> proceeding? Because I can answer, not them we've incredible all, We've all detail. been to a movie where we've had to explain everything to a viewer. So. Yeah, I know, but this is so. the first time I've had to explain legitimately a whole show. Right, okay, that's before, fair Before, like, proceeding with a, an epilogue film, basically. Yeah, and this film doesn't slow down at all. No. And even so. there were times where I was like, mm. oh, that guy and that person is related to that incident. Right, and right, then, right, right, right. And even timeline-based stuff where you needed to see a key thing in order to understand, like what part of the timeline this is in the Breaking Bad story, as per se. Yep, yep, yep. Um, which we'll touch on in a little bit. Um, my intro to Breaking Bad, yeah, came in, I was in like year, would be year 11 or year 12. Right, that's about the same for yeah. me. Yeah, um, uh, which is like 16, 17, 18, that sort of age, and proceeded to just destroy and binge watch the show. <laughs> um, and I managed to catch up to date upon the return of the... 5B season or the gotcha, second gotcha. half of season 5. See, that's still earlier than me. I didn't watch the show till after it finished. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. Um, but I got to watch things like Ozymandias uh, oh, when it came out. Oh, my God. And I remember <laughs> I remember my my school discussion. So we used to have an IT class that we did on Fridays. Right. That was your water cooler. Yeah, the water cooler class. Yeah. Um, and me and... My friends, uh, we had you know four sessions a week. Mm. So on like Monday, it would be the Walking Dead episode discussion. Yeah. On Wednesday, it would be the Breaking Bad discussion. And on Friday, it'd be the Game of Thrones discussion. <laughs> and it would sort of switch, obviously, with... I think when Game of Thrones finished, often Breaking Bad started or Walking Dead started, and it would switch between, yep, obviously, yep, which yep. show. But when Ozymandias came out, oh, my God, there was like... That class was... It was the teacher legitimately told us all to shut the fuck up. <laughs> she swore oh, in class because she didn't hadn't seen. Right, Ozzy gotcha, Mandius. gotcha, gotcha. She was a little. So it was, like, it was like you with the end game spoilers. Exactly. She did that to me because we were like, oh my god, that episode that just happened. And she walked in, and this teacher, I I really liked her. I'm not gonna yep. name and shame her because like she did She's multiple times come in class hungover. That was amazing. <laughs> she'd come in and she'd be like, sorry, guys, I had too much wine last night. Let's just do some IT work. A real teacher out there. Yeah, real public school it. teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she was great. Uh, but like to the point where her professionalism was incredibly blurred sometimes, but it was what made her so much fun to right. be around. Um, but like she came in and she legitimately was just like, no one talk about Breaking Bad. If you guys talk about it, I legitimately will fail you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you kicked out of the school. Yeah, we were like, well, miss, can we go outside and talk about it? She's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then we, we proceeded to move outside and talk about Breaking Bad for like 35 minutes of class. 
She's like, all right, you guys got to come in and do work now. That's amazing. The, all I I had one guy named Duncan in my high school who who had seen the show as it came out, and as I was watching it later, he would always come up to me. And for the mo- for the most time, he was just like, "Have you got to the plane yet?" And I was like, "What are you talking about what plane?" And he's like, "Have you got to the plane yet?" I'm like, "I don't know." And then eventually, I'm like, "Oh, the plane." You know, seriousness, that's one of my least favorite parts of the show. The plane. I think a lot of people don't like that. I I'm, I like it. I think it's, it's one of those things dope. that's I guess a little bit too far. F- fetched in a surprisingly grounded story right um obviously i just think it's the one part of the show where i'm a little bit like it's not really like the bit i want to come back to i think face off is the face off's incredible though those three episodes from crawl space to to face off um and in between end times is uh three of the best even the bit when like tuco's holding walt and jesse hostage mm. And they've got the 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 rice and poison. Oh, yeah. trying to get them to eat it. And early season two stuff. Early right season there. two stuff. Yeah. You know, there right are, there are there are definitely parts of the show that are super strong throughout. And the I think I've always found with Breaking Bad, especially the, the reason that keeps it keeps you going mm. is it makes seemingly. I know this is related to El Camino too because I think El Camino might struggle a little bit with this. Right. Um, it may, it may sometimes its slow and methodical pacing mean something because I guess in particularly the the show, we intercut between a lot of what was happening with Jesse and what was happening with Walt. Yeah, but you have several different characters were El following. Whereas El Camino was very much, it's a Jesse film. Yeah. Um, and I think that might have been, and it's obviously not going to be the fault of uh, El Camino because mm. obviously given the premise of, the, the story yeah. you can't really have Walt in this film mm. that much I didn't want Walt like I'm glad that this is a Jesse story you know okay but um, I mean we'll get into specifics about stuff soon but, yeah I, I just yeah. think it's the pacing in Breaking Bad was always like seemingly always slow and always a slow stir because what we were doing is we were building Walt into a monster as he slowly mm pushes more and more and then in a parallel timeline we're watching jesse slowly become more and more unhinged or uneasy and you know basically being Mm. the audience i mean jesse has always been the 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 audience's sort of expression of the situation whereas walt is sort of our our ego (laughs) egotistical part the part of us the prideful part of it the part we kind of almost wish we were that cool in a way but yeah it's the five it's the five percent of our mind that goes there but jesse's the result of the real part of us Mm. like we are the i think the whole point of breaking bad is it's to suggest that we all have that monster within us it's just most of us never tap into it Mm. well most of us can never get the opportunity to because it's such a combination of things of the pilot and there is a scene in el camino that is a 10 out of 10 scene that completely rewards this exact conversation. And I'm going to touch oh, on know, a, little, I know what you're talking about. a little bit later on. Right. Um, cool. So that's going to El Camino. Before we do anything as well, I do want to um, talk about Robert Forrester for a minute. Okay. Because he passed away on Saturday. Wait, no, Friday. He passed away the day this came out, mm-hmm. which was like, that was a gut punch to me. I haven't even seen him in a lot of movies, but like that was a real gut punch to me. So he just, is the vacuum. He's a vacuum cleaner guy. Yeah. In Breaking Bad, and uh, from now on, spoilers for El Camino because we're just going to jump right in. Everything's a spoiler at this point. Yeah. He is in El Camino, and he passed away the day that the film came out. And uh, I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that, you know, okay. because it really that actually really hit me harder than I realized because I was like, oh, 
I really do like this dude. Um, this might be his final appearance. I think he was working on a something called Phil, but I think it was already shot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's out. Actually, I think it's already out, so never mind. Um, yeah, and there's so. obviously we have our condolences for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's been in literally hundreds of works. So yeah, yeah, and he has a very good, very good stoic presence <laughs> in this film. Yes, absolutely. Um, cool. All right, so let's talk a bit about. El Camino in the sense that I think there's a lot of divisiveness with this film. I think the critics tend to have really enjoyed this film. I'm in a lot of like Facebook groups and stuff with a lot of Breaking Bad fans mm-hmm. and there's very, very, it's like Last Jedi levels of divisiveness mm-hmm. in this film. A lot of people are very disappointed with it because maybe it doesn't happen to certain things. I think a lot of people, like myself, I actually really, really, really like this film. I d- what are your general impressions actually? We haven't really talked um, about it. Okay. There are upon looking at the budget, which mm. I just saw six million, which yep. for a two-hour film is very small, mm. given uh, the talent. This is definitely, obviously, a a they did this not for the money. Like people yeah, like Aaron absolutely. Paul, and and even like some of the smaller guys, like the guy who plays Badger and the guy who plays Skinny P. You know, yep, they, yep, they yep. have a little bit of traction, particularly Badgers in quite a few. Little things here and there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this 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 film is definitely uh, there are a lot of things I really like about this film in the sense that it's really nice to see a show get a epilogue mm. film because it makes me excited about other shows that might get epilogue films. Yeah. <laughs> Community six seasons in a movie because um, that's the one <laughs> I've been pining for. But honestly, yeah, that makes me really happy because it makes. Those films that, uh, those shows that need an epilogue, mm. um, you know, people ever since The Sopranos ended abruptly, wanted a Sopranos movie to send that off the right way. Right. Um, you know, there are there are films out there that need uh, movie uh, shows out there that needed that sort of conclusive film ending, and I'm really glad that Breaking Bad actually got one. I mean, I'm sure people now would really want a Game of Thrones film <laughs> to fix and tie up some of the things but that happened at the here's, end of... Here's the thing about that, because the general consensus of Breaking Bad obviously wrapped so perfectly. Would you... Now that we've gotten an epilogue film, would you say it was necessary? Would you say that we yeah. benefit from it? I mean, like, did we benefit from it? Yeah, I mean, I think Jesse deserved a more conclusive end. Mm. And he got his conclusive end with this film. Essentially, I honestly, like, the more I think about uh, this film in particular, it honestly could be broken into two parts and just be two extra episodes of Breaking Bad. It definitely feels like two add-on episodes in that sense. Particularly with some of the tenser scenes seemingly coming at points where almost the episode would end (laughs) in the show. Right. Because the show did this thing where it often would be like, and I'm gesturing with my hand here, but I'm going to say it's like, <laughs> it, it goes very low key, low key, low key. And then normally shit hits the fan in the last five minutes right. and leaves you wanting to watch the next episode. Mm. You know, you look at everything from the pilot and how the pilot starts with a real bang in the first two minutes. You're like, mm. who's this dude? Why has he not got any pants on? Why is he putting a gun down the road? <laughs> Why is there an RV crashed with all this chemicals? And then the show for the next part proceeds to be relatively low key. Yeah. We get to introduce ourselves to Walt and Jesse and then it picks up towards the end of the episode with with Crazy 8 and then this like I honestly think this one essentially does a very similar thing it starts off quite loud with 
Jesse literally escaping the compound. Yeah. And, yep. you know, seeking refuge from uh, the authorities. And then proceeds to go back to a sort of slower, more methodical pace and then picks up in the center part of the story mm. when he goes and finds some uh, money that's stowed away. But I don't want to talk about too much. If we're going into spoilers... I think we're already kind of in spoiler-ish territory. Okay, yeah. As it is, but And I feel like the end of that bit, when he has that interaction with the two uh, fake cops, the the metalwork workers, um, who are both people masquerading as as cops with Mm. windbreakers on, that would be almost like an end of an episode sort of interaction, especially with how they come to an agreement and they walk away and he discover he remembers who they are. Mm. I almost wanted like director by Vince Gilligan to come up <laughs> at that point. Have the music play. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, you're right. It's um I found it interestingly structured like that too. It's I think it still feels authentically like a film in terms of it's a two hour pace and it does okay. dip and dive and, and do those things, but I, I see I see where you're going with that. I think let's let's take it back to the start. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lot of Guest appearances. This is very much a Jesse story. We're wrapping Jesse's story. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of characters, some who are dead, some who are still alive, that come back in the mix. Mm-hmm. The very first one I want to talk about, and this is the one that IMDb sport for me, that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I okay. didn't want to spoil it for you guys, but I knew that Jonathan Banks was going to be in this film in some capacity. And he's only in it at the very start for mm-hmm. two seconds. But it's interesting because that, that almost sets up the entire film there, a little conversation. And this yeah. is clearly a scene that takes place uh, roughly around the time when they're trying to sell the the mephlamine. Yeah. They've stolen from the train, but it's obviously before, or maybe, maybe it's right. Um, you see, so this is the thing. It doesn't slow down for you to figure out the so exact Jonathan pinpoint. Banks is Mike. the Mike. Yeah. I yeah, see. Yeah. Yes. I probably should have. I didn't even mention that earlier. That is okay. That's okay. I just needed to clarify myself. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So it's Mike and Jesse. There are a lot of guest appearances in this, so I've got to try and get my head around it. No worries. No worries. I'll I'll stop using actor names then. (laughs) I feel like that interaction occurs, well, it's obviously before, spoiler, Mike dies in the show. Mm. Um, I feel like that's just before he says he's out and... That's when Jesse and Mike are out, which I think oh, is around. Oh, that makes that must be right before yeah the scene because they're both waiting at the compound on for the Walt ver- to arrive. Yeah, it's on the verge of them saying they're out, and then of course that leads to Mike dying. Yeah. Um. So I think it's around episode five in the last. It's I think six. Yeah, because six is after the train. Yeah, like season five, episode five, six. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Cool. Um. So yeah, that's when they come to that decision. But then they have that discussion of like, what would you do? you know, go to Alaska sort of thing. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that, <laughs> yeah, I feel like you've taught me that 10 times in the last week. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, it's that, um, it does set up the, the journey. And then obviously the kicker line with Mike saying like, oh, that's the one thing you can't do is make up for your mistakes essentially. Yeah. Which is definitely, I think, reflected throughout the story because it is essentially Jesse trying to get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. But um, let's talk about Jesse Plemons. Okay. You didn't realize it was actually Todd until you watched I this. I totally didn't. So um, a few weeks ago, I talked about I was going to try and get through all the Breaking Bad show. I got yep. up to season three, so Todd doesn't come in until the start of season five. Yep. five. Um, and I haven't seen the show's in ending in years. Yeah. And I remember there being a character called Todd. Had no clue it was Jesse Plemons. Yeah. <laughs> um, completely forgot because... No offense to Jesse, he was a lot thinner in mm. uh, his Breaking Bad sin- season. And I know Jesse Plemons as 
the really insanely, probably the best part of game night, to be honest. Right, right, right. The guy who we've talked about game night on the show yep. um, being probably one of those sleeper hits of the last couple of years where it it's actually a phenomenal comedy. And he is definitely one of the best parts. He's a stoic police officer who just every time he talks, the camera slowly encroaches in on him right. in the creepiest way. You, you've seen it, right? I haven't seen the movie, no. Oh, my God. You're coming over and watching it. That's a guarantee. <laughs> but he is definitely one of the best parts of the show, um, of uh, like of that film. And, yeah, like I said, completely forgot that he was in this show. Well, it's interesting you bring up the weight because mm-hmm. that's an issue for a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people yeah. making – you know how the joke was meth Damon, it's now fat Damon, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. There's a lot of people very upset about the weight. I'm not too sure. I've heard that he physically can't actually – control it or he can't lose weight for whatever reason my theory is that he just wasn't told about this film ahead of time enough because of its secrecy yeah um they have time to lose the weight and i thought them shooting up the first time we see him in the film and that was a surprise to me i had no clue that Todd was going to be in this film Mm. because he isn't he's a great character he's a great sociopath but i never really he wasn't really one of my favorites i have have problems with his character in this film but it's not to do with his weight right um do you think he's a bit too Silly at times. Yeah, and then also sometimes strangely nice and compassionate to Jesse. Like he says one-liners that just weren't in the show off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure he gives him like ice cream and stuff in the show. Like there's moments where he's kind of weirdly caring for Jesse, kind of in the same way he's caring for that tarantula of the kid he shot. Yeah, I guess it's... It's strange, though. I, right. I, I guess you're sort of right. Maybe I need to revisit the show. But like, yeah, you, I think I'm, specific I'm, stuff. In I'm there. on the same page as you. He was such a, and season five does struggle a little bit with their antagonists of the season because they've the, just come off of Gus, who right? Of Gus, so, who yeah. is it's hard to top that. Yeah, exactly. You go from this guy who damn near perfect. You know, watch box cutter, um, <laughs> but yeah, and then like, who's your who's the final boss of Breaking Bad? And it's right, just a bikey game, Uncle Todd. Yeah, I do like how often Uncle Todd's mentioned though. Yeah, in this, that's awesome. But no, what I was saying when we're first introduced to Todd, we're looking up through the kind of the gate, and I thought that was a really clever way of con- uh, concealing the extra weight that he had put on. Yeah, and of course he ends up being used way more. Throughout the film, so obviously that wasn't really their intention. Mm-hmm. That was more the the menacing, like low angle thing they were doing there. But I thought that was interesting, and yeah, he plays a massive part too. He actually gets second credit mm-hmm. um, in the film. Of course, it was secret prior to the release. But we go out into the dead. Well, we go to his apartment first, which is new. We've never yeah. seen his apartment before. He's killed his maid over reasons questionable. <laughs> Trying to remember it again. It was uh to do with oh. Yeah. Oh, she found the money. money. She found, found the money. The money. Yep. And she's so nice and so honest and came to him. She's, oh, that whole scene, like, with the belt being around her and then him undo- taking the belt off her neck and then putting, <laughs> putting it, back, it right back on. He's right back on. <laughs> You're just like, what the fuck? Oh, it's so good. I guess it comes... Yeah. I I don't know how I feel about Todd's character. I think he I, he was... In the show, he felt more like the catalyst to Hank's death rather than right, okay. an actual bad guy. And he got his comeuppance in the show, mm. but he still always felt like the B villain to his uncle. Yeah. No, well, that's the thing. Um, he was the lead into the uncle. 
and then he has that personal tie to Jesse, and he's the one that kills Andrea as well. Yeah. So there's there's enough there, I feel like, but you're right, he's not the big player in comparison. Yeah, I mean, even if you take that final scene in the film when the light machine gun is mowing down everyone, yeah. his well, the death show, yeah. doesn't come via a light machine gun. It comes from Jesse, Jesse choking him out. Himself, yeah. Um, and I think that's... But it's more the case of he, Jesse, killing Todd out of, for example, Todd killing Andrea. Mm. That's totally, like, from an audience point of view, you know why Jesse's killing Todd because yeah. of the girl. So... I guess in this show, like in this film, seeing them interact a lot more is, I guess, like helps bolster why he kills Todd in the end. But, I mean, it's not necessary. Like, we obviously understood why they killed him in the show. Well, that's the thing. I think in terms of how necessary this film is, I would actually kind of, as big of a Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul fan, I would actually argue this film's not really that necessary, to be honest. Like, I I didn't get really anything that extra out of this no it was obviously a great experience and i, and I loved i love the decision to make kind of this small mm-hmm. bogus story but going back to 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 todd because that whole flashback sequence obviously from a from a physical storytelling point of view it's jesse recalling the events to try and find the money but if we're looking at it from a psychological point of view it's jesse who even in that moment when he gets a hold of the gun in the desert he still can't kill todd even mm-hmm. then yeah so it's I just found that really interesting because there's, there's certain levels of um you can't see me but I'm doing this waving in my hands. There's certain levels that Jesse has to go through in terms of his assertedness. Unf- unfortunately, though, mm. this film has problems with it because Jesse, if we if we go back to the show mm. when he kills Gabe, um, he feels Poor so Gabe. much he feels so much regret. Mm. And he and he often acts as Walt's moral compass in the show, and the regret he feels for killing someone for him, death carries weight. Whereas yeah. from the first season, we actually see Walt is relatively comfortable with killing people, mm. from choking out Crazy Eight in the basement, yep. which comes very early on in the show, like episode four. Mm. Weight death for him isn't nearly as as heavy as if well, Jesse doesn't kill someone like he helps with you know destroying bodies and stuff like that right, but he doesn't yeah. kill anyone personally until he kills Gabe hmm. in the fourth season and that's incredibly like so we know death like him killing someone is it's a big deal huge yeah whereas an example when he kills Todd we understand why um yeah. However, some of the actions he does in this film kind of go against the show. I it's think. interesting because I thought for a good while of this film he wasn't going to kill anyone in this film. Yeah, which I thought was appropriate, but especially the last act where it mm. almost gets to a point where it's like, I, I'm going to talk about the scene a little bit, but yeah, you know, he does result in killing a couple of people in this in this film, mm. and it almost feels like we've completely lost what Jesse's about because he doesn't feel any regret for killing those people. Yeah. There's no... He's not emotionally tormented by it. I think there's got to be something into that that plays to his arc. I'm yeah. trying to make... Because it obviously comes towards the very end of the film. And it's sort of the final step. It's his final step towards literally getting to Alaska to escaping. Mm-hmm. Is getting that money. Because I was confused at first in the sense of, oh, if he only needs 1800 why is he participating in the standoff? And then, of course, I realised... 
I'm, I imagine a lot of that money's going to go to 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 Brock now. Yeah, which we'll get to with the ending of the film. But I do agree. I was kind of a little disappointed that he ended up killing anyone at all. Even though I understand he sort of had to in that situation. But Not really. Yeah, I don't know. And he also could have got eighteen hundred dollars somewhere else. Like, well, I thought he was going to get it from the parents when he broke into his parents' house. He could have. He literally could have just sold those guns. <laughs> Probably could have got the money from the guns. He could have gone to the local pawn shop and just been like, "Hey, can I pawn these for eighteen hundred bucks?" I know it would have been an anticlimactic right. ending, but I guess I guess it goes back into maybe he always intended to get more than eighteen hundred. If, if, if it was from an earlier point, he decided to send that money to Brock or he needed it for Alaska anyway. Because that's the thing. Once he gets to Alaska, if he has no money, sure, he could start a new life and maybe work for it or mm. something. Carpeting maybe, you know. But I, um, I don't know. I just But it's not true to his character. And I feel like it pushes him more into the Walt realm of thinking, which is right. precisely maybe that's the point. Maybe the whole thing is it is his like slow acceptance that he might be just as bad as Walter in that sense, maybe. Or maybe he tries to justify his means by providing for his, you know, family Mm. by any means necessary. But maybe it has to do with him getting back some for everything that he's been put through too. It's, I feel like there's there's enough little, like, curiosities in there. Particularly... discuss it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think personally it actually degrades his character a little bit because... You really do care for Jesse by the end mm. of the show. Like, he is the protagonist of the show. Yeah. Like, vastly the protagonist of the show. You want him to be okay. And you're really, you feel bad for what he gets put through. And for him to just kill two characters that I'm, you have to help me out with this. Are those they're, two characters? They're, they're new characters. They're new characters. Because yep. I thought that too. I was like, I can't tell if I've seen them before. Okay, so they're new characters. To kill two characters. Well, the idea is that they were, especially that one dude in particular, he was a welder who, he was there in the flashback of Jesse when he was tied to the chain. Mm. So there is a sort of relevance. We as the audience, I've Mm -hmm. never met him prior to this film. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering, is the reason he gets to kill them as a sense of, yeah, you're right, Jesse getting back and these people? Because him killing Todd in the show, within the realms of the show, that's a satisfying way for him to get his revenge. But if we have this movie, does breaking, he need another it's breaking revenge? Even in that sense, yeah, exactly. Too. So it's, it's not breaking bad; it's breaking even. Yeah, <laughs> like it's an, it's an, it's justified, and we as the audience see that. Whereas with these two characters, unfortunately, they don't really like. Apart from the world of being there for that one scene, right? Yeah, he's not a good person, but he's not on the same level as some of the other people we've seen in the show. You know, he, mm. then it's not like Todd. Who's yeah, a, yeah. A, un, uh, unwittingly evil, and that's the. I think this is a problem with this film, is they didn't have enough time to set up someone that's, you know, justified. Like, especially yeah, yeah. Um, his friend, who literally is just, they're both just welders. They're both working class, opportunistic people that mm. knew that there was money there, and they took advantage of a situation, much like Jesse was doing. Yeah, exactly. And are they good people? No, but they're not. Like on the realms of the show's spectrum of bad people, they aren't even. <laughs> they'd probably be like, they wouldn't even compare to anyone else in the show, really. Like on a bad level. Yeah, I guess it is. It is interesting because you're right. It's like it's it's kind of a, it's less of a woohoo moment and more of a like ah oh, for for Jesse killing these people. Yeah, that he has to succumb to that to survive. I guess the more I think about, it, the more it relates to how he's not necessarily suicidal. 
But there are multiple times in this film where he has a gun to his head and he's just like, yeah, shoot me, I don't care. Mm. Like, do you have the balls to do it? I bet you don't sort of thing. And that that plays into his arc in the show where he becomes progressively more, um, what's the word? like Unhinged. Yeah, in a sense, or just like he gets balls throughout the show. Yeah. And I think I think that could partly play into this, him getting balls where he's, he's a little less, ah, oh, do whatever you want to me. And this yeah. time he's more like, no, nope, I'm going to get you back for this. So, I don't know. I do agree. It, so, I've, I had a theory going into this episode. It, yeah, it would have been more balls here, though, Jay. What? If he had walked into that compound and walked out and didn't kill a single person because of just his presence. No. I, look, I don't disagree with you on that. Yeah. I'm just trying to justify why Vince made that decision. Yeah. Even if he shot them and people. left them bleeding out rather than actually full-on killing them. Mm. You know? Shot him in the leg, kneecapped him or something. <laughs> Cup your ass, boy. Well, I mean, look at, like... Even actions of, of Walter and Jesse in the show didn't always lead to people dying, but they were still badass. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. When Walt walks into Tuco's compound and just drops Blows a chemical up bomb. the apartment, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no one died, but he still looked awesome. Yeah. No, you know? no, I, I understand. How cool would that be if Jesse walked in with one of those things? Ah, uh, that would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess uh, it depends because it would have been a little like, oh, did he have the know-how to make that compound sort of thing? Yeah, he know. did. I mean, the did dude, he? Absolutely. Well, he wasn't involved when Walt did it. He was incapacitated. Okay. Uh, I would have I would have the... argued he could have. Well, here's I would have given he... him the benefit of the doubt. Here's my theory. He could have done some, like, what about a fluoride thing? He could have fluoride bombed him. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The I think it was phosphorus. still kind of... Use the phosphorus. Red well, phosphorus. Well, here's the thing. Breaking Bad's been a Western for a while. We always consider it as a Western to an extent. And I think it's sold through the the, the red stripe graphics they do at the start and mm. end of this thing. And I think that's where maybe they were going with, like, we need to have it be a literal standoff. Now, here's my theory. Okay. This film does two things um, that typically you would love mm. and typically I would hate, but I think we're going to roll reverse in this. Yeah. So my guess is that as much as you love westerns and standoffs and everything, mm. we're going to learn a bit more about that next week. I'm guessing you didn't like the standoff. Completely. Well, I sat there with 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 Sarah, mm. and I was like, "Wait, hang on, are we are we doing a standoff right now? Is this happening?" <laughs> He's like reaching for his gun, like like yeah, western yeah. style. They're doing the the western cowboy medium close up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like. I mean, all the cinematography's bang on for what a Western should be. Cinematography's great throughout the show. It's amazing. Yeah, it's honestly, it's probably the highlight of the show. Mm. Um, You talked about it being the RE... uh, Uh, The Alexa or the RE 65, whatever it was. Great Um, camera. And I'm not opposed to urban Westerns either. So, like, modern day ones where you literally, it's like a Western. But the, the segue into this scene felt janky and unjustified like we had no real reason to believe this welder was a cowboy fanatic like if if there was something (laughs) that alluded to if he was like i don't know like someone who wasn't in the middle of a city if they were like a rant like a country western welding company or whatever right you know someone who was way more rural or like someone who openly fantasized about being a cowboy even though it was a couple of throwaway lines or something that alludes to like that like obsession because it feels like he's like just like okay neither of us are leaving how about we do a standoff and even like yeah the the first time i watched it i thought the sound was like what that's a bit 
okay, I guess we're at a standoff now sort of thing. But the second time I watched it, I was like, uh, I, I, I aborted a little bit better. And I feel I feel it was just a nice thematic payoff from Vince being like, Breaking Bad, people have always considered the Western. It is in a lot of ways. There's a lot of desert landscapes. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. It's because I'm accepting the desert doesn't make it a Western, though. No, what I mean, you, you, there's a lot of readings on it. There's a lot okay. of stuff. People really do consider it like a, a modern-day Western. And I think that was Vince's being like, yep, here you go. Here's your final kind of epilogue in that regard. Mm. So was I correct then that you weren't a big fan of the standoff? No, I, I like I, Yeah, I mean, I like <laughs> I like what Jesse did in the standoff. I thought that was clever. Yeah. Like where he had the little pocket yeah, gun. Yeah, that was clever. You hit the two um, guns. So they even find a way to put a clever, like, Breaking Bad-esque edge to things where it's right, often, right. like, it's not the the fastest draw in the room, as per se. It's mm. the smartest draw. Yeah. Um, which often Science that's what Jesse and Walt well, did yeah. to get out of their problems. They didn't use brawn. They used intelligence and mm. timing. And a little luck. Yeah, a little and, luck. Always a little luck in there. Um, particularly in this scene, too, following the draw and the mm. other guy having the jump on Jesse. Jesse yeah. doesn't win because he's better at shooting. He actually they just got both lucky. Take a lot of shots at each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and miss most of the time. Mm. And then for some reason, what like just out of luck, one catches the other dude in the head, which is a nice little homage to when he was at the, um, when Gus poisoned the, that cartel group or mm. that, that group there. And it's almost very similar angles to the way mm. Jesse shoots that guy in that. Yeah. And that's the only other dude he ever shoots. So it's free. Gail, Jesse and that dude, that random cartel dude. Those are the only three people he killed prior to this film. Yeah. Um, no, so I could I could see what you mean with that. I think I think it just comes back to um, it felt sort of out of nowhere. Like I said, like mm. like it, even the line just felt like yeah, winner takes all, and it's like this would be cool if the the premise was justified. But we have three weird coke losers just hanging out. <laughs> This other dude who's basically like, hey, why did you give him money? What the fuck? And it's yeah. like, I don't, I didn't even get the other characters, like the other, the Ranger dude with the mustache, because he just essentially was just this character that really had nothing to do in this film other than be like, why'd you give him money? And it's like, dude, he has a gun now. Shut the fuck up. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, under, I actually understand the other welding guy because he had a lot more to do in this film. Mm. But his friend, nah, just felt sort of. Oh, well, I guess if he's established in the earlier scene, you yeah. need him there, I suppose. But it is what it is. I'll stand by by saying that this standoff scene felt a little... I wouldn't have been opposed to it, but it felt like, oh, crap, we've only got 10 minutes left in the film. Let's quickly uh, <laughs> put this in. So the thing that... Let's flip this around to the scene where I feel like you think I might have really disliked it, but I actually really liked is the fact that they do actually bring Walter White back in for a flashback. So good. That was... I just appreciate it. I was like, you know what? It's been a while since we've seen a Walt and Jesse scene. And it's so, probably one of the best Walt and Jesse scenes. It's really well done. That's the thing. Like, it doesn't feel janky or archived. It just it feels very natural. So, to timeline set, this one scene with yep. Brian Cranston coming back for roughly about five to six minutes of the yep. film... Um, so this would take place. They've just made a battery for the RV in season two. Then mm-hmm. they've been stuck in the desert for four days, and this takes place before Jesse drops him back off at the airport. And if you actually go back to the episode, you can see them change into the same clothes for the airport 
that they wear in the movie. And it's like, it's pitch perfect. It's that's, beautiful. And some good little consideration. Oh, but, it's so good. Yeah. Um, this scene is really good because I think it highlights the perfect dynamic that these two characters had. Mm. And honestly, is a huge credit to the success of the show because their relationship is the reason why this show is Absolutely, the best yeah. part. Um, and it, it it's a conversation in which uh, Brian Cranston or Walter White address Jesse what he's going to do with the money. Mm. And uh, it highlights, at first, it highlights why Walter originally planned to do this whole caper was yep. to provide for his family, mm. which we know watching the show that it becomes more about his ego yep. more than anything. And the line at the end of this that scene... That last line is excellent. Sends it home. And I was just like <laughs> there, and I was like, this is definitely my highlight scene by a mile. Damn. Um, he says, it's, you're so lucky you didn't have to wait your whole life to do something exciting or something on those yeah. lines. Yeah. And it highlights the ego that's river, rooted in Walt, mm. the frustration, Nobel Prize winner, science and physics or one of those chemistry or one of those smart ones <laughs> and well his... well Walt is legitimately involved in a Nobel Prize in the very first episode there's an establishing shot yeah it was like part of his research or something yeah, yeah. and he found he founded a multi-million dollar corporation which he sold out of mm. too early and and in... this is his highlight yeah and he had nothing he has had kids he got married since all of this happened but nothing makes him feel excited like what he's doing at that point. Mm. It's perfect, yeah. It's it's greed, it's ego, and it's doing something because he wants to do it and not because someone's told him to do it. And those are all the things that in one line sums it up and you yeah. just go, this, this scene is the perfect uh, cornerstone of their relationship. Mm. He wants the best for Jesse, uh, but... He's still... Bewiddles him in a lot of ways. Yeah. He forgets that he even had a diploma. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Jesse, for the most part, is sort of just along for the ride. And and it doesn't have direction until the end of the film. Mm. And only then finally f- comes to peace with where he is in life and what he wants to do with life. Which is something that Walt could never do. Yeah. Especially because he went to Alaska and, and the he's... Cr- Start to come back. Yeah. Well, that's been the closest Walt ever gets to like that satisfaction in life is when he is in danger, when he is mm. doing all these things. And then for Jesse, and we kind of see it the little, um, the compare and contrast of the first, it's not the first shot, but it's the first present day shot of Jesse in the car screaming and mm. like so overwhelmed with escaping. And then you go to the very last shot of the film is him very quietly and peacefully driving, you know, through the snow. Absolutely. And there's a hint of a smile in there. Yeah. And as for those, an excellent and comparison. It, and it comes back to the dynamic between the two. It's like Walt thrived on the chaos because he had a life of mundanity, mm. whereas the first shot we ever see of Jesse in the show is him getting out of a window from a one-night like a one night stand with yeah, the neighbour, yeah, yeah. escaping, escaping with his pants around his ankle, <laughs> escaping the cots. He is founded in chaos where it's and all he wants is... Is peace, yeah. Especially after everything that's happened over the, the course mm-hmm. of the show and, and this film, and that I guess that's why it's such an epilogue to the to the yeah. show. That it's such a self-contained kind of very tunneled story. Honestly, I could which... have just taken the last thirty minutes of this film, and that <laughs> would have been enough for me. Here's the thing: I think a, a lot of people have issues with the film, um, and a lot of it is stupid. A lot of it's like, "Oh, Todd got fat. This movie sucks." Yeah. I've read a lot of comments like that, which mm. really drive me nuts. That one really didn't affect me that much. Um, 
I think got... the red hair in this one. Did Todd have red hair? I feel no, like he yeah. looked literally other than the way he looks perfect. Okay. He looks exactly as he does. There were some show. shots I thought he had like, like quite gingery hair, and I was like, uh, yes, like it's oh, it's on point. Okay, I f- I felt like that. Um, but yeah, before we, I guess before we get into our highlight scenes, and we've already talked a bit about yours, mm-hmm. but I guess I want to talk a bit more about some of the the final cameos. I mean, again, we talked about Robert Forrester as, as Ed, the vacuum cleaner guy. Mm-hmm. He gets a lot to do in this film. That was the one I didn't know and completely right. forgot about until we were in Alaska and I went, oh, I remember him. <laughs> nah, I didn't have any issues like that. Jesse but... punches Saul, right? Like, that's, like, what happens towards the end of the show. Yeah, but Saul also gets a dis- disappears with the disappearer. And that's what leads to Jesse sort of, like... Because Jesse's going to rat Walt out to the DEA. Well, well, what happened, the reason he wouldn't accept him at first is because, yeah, Sol did order him to get a pickup from the mm. vacuum cleaner dude. But then uh, Jesse remembers about the rice and cigarette mm. during the pickup, so he walks out. So that leaves obviously a bad taste in Ed's mouth that he walked out on a pickup. Mm. And then that's when it comes back in this film. Right. So that's And then he does go to punch Sol, but that's kind of a different story there which is followed up on better call soul i recommend you guys watch that um so yeah ed is in it uh old joe from the junkyards in it he's one of my favorite characters in mm-hmm. the show the guy helped them with the magnets and the yeah the private demo style bitch um stuff uh obviously uh badger and skinny pete get a bit of a moment in the first act and yeah. I, I i really love their role i'm kind of glad that they didn't have much to do after that yeah, they just they they're good mates with Jesse. They help him out and they send him on his way essentially, and that was quite nice. Um, I'm trying to think who else other cameos. I guess you get Kenny, which is one of the white supremacist dudes, but I think most people probably not even remember. Yeah, who that is? <laughs> He's just in one of the flashbacks with Todd. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's about. I'm I'm trying to remember if there were any other like interesting cameos. Aaron Paul has come out about the ending of the film, how there's a yeah. letter to Brock. We don't see what's in the letter. No. Apparently in an early draft, we did see what was in the letter. And in my head, I'm guessing it was like a VO or something like that. Okay. But uh, they took it out before they started shooting. And Aaron Paul says he knows what was written in the letter and that he won't sp- specify what it was until obviously Vince gives him the, the go ahead. Mm-hmm. But he said it's essentially an apology and a confession to Andrea and Brock. I feel like that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing it's a literal confession. Yeah. So, not gonna yeah. do Andrew much good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a big oof, sir. Yeah, but um, yeah. Okay, do we want to get into? Were there any cameos that you wish you thought were a little unnecessary, or did you like everything about that? No, or? Skinny Pete and Badger were right. Yep. Old Joe was fine. I actually thought that one was probably the only one I was a little bit like. Maybe just because he didn't end up really advancing the plot. Yeah, basically he just walked in and was like. I'm going to do this. And then he was like, I'm not going to do this. See ya. <laughs> I was like, okay. I can agree with that. Yeah. That one enough. was the only one I was like, eh. Um, the, the, the biker dude, uh, the white supremacist guy. Oh, yeah, wasn't, Kenny. wasn't at all. If it isn't uncle um, Jack, no one's going to know who he was. <laughs> Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah. And he was fine. Like, it, like he didn't do anything in the scene other than basically just bully Jesse. So yeah, yeah. he wasn't unnecessary at all. He was fine. It was a flashback scene. Yeah, exactly. Having him there like... actually probably bolsters that universe a little bit more. Yeah, And he actually looks pretty great as well. If we're talking about people who look aged or... Yeah, he looked great was as well. 100% needed in this film. Yeah, exactly. So, it was essential. Yeah. Um, no, there were no... And honestly, the Walt scene was 
perfect. It was too good to complain about. Absolutely. So it was it was so satisfying to see Brian Cranston come in for this this film because honestly, nail it. The, I think the biggest the big things I like about this film is its budget. Obviously, just suggests that most of the cast probably didn't get paid a lot to be in this film. Yeah, I'm guessing they would have took a bump of some kind. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Brian being paid that much. Like, yeah, his... well, he's, even on like if you go on IMDb and or even in the in the credits of this film, he's he's put right at the end. Yeah, his credits. So I'm guessing he would have got like a small little. You he might not have even got day. paid, maybe. No, I'm sure he got something, but... Oh, well, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe, maybe he just vetoed it and did it for it. Yeah, I mean, the show literally made his career. So mm. I, I I think for him to come on one day and actually just be him again... <laughs> yeah, no, it's fair <laughs> I enough. I can't but... imagine him... I mean, if I was him, I probably wouldn't. If not, I would have got paid <laughs> a real small amount, like nothing big. And that's what the, the budget suggests. I honestly reckon this should have been broken up into two episodes, though, and just been a, a two-part event. I suppose. I definitely, I agree. I think a lot of people's complaints about it being too, like, small or focused, which I love. I mean, that comes from the fact that this movie probably came out a little too late. I think this movie should have come out earlier. When did the show finish? End of 2013. It's about six years ago. What? This month. That's insane. I yeah, could have been sworn it was, like, 2015 or 2016. That is crazy. So probably you come out a little too late in that yeah, regard, probably. but but you know it's. I think people it. would have had a lot more of a positive opinion if this was only absolutely. If this was if it had been closer, and also had it been honestly, I reckon it would have got more of a thumbs up if it was actually two episodes, not a movie, because people like the pacing of Breaking Bad's episodes, right? Um, and I think if you'd made the event where Jesse interacts with the welding guys, uh the end of episode one, and then obviously that would, I reckon that would have made the standoff way more effective. Right. Because you've, and you if you release both episodes, like maybe one week apart from each other or something like mm. that, like make it one of those, you know how they do those like tele series, like those telemovie series where they put it on the television and they yeah, put it in yeah. two parts. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I know, I know from like a budget standpoint from like, the fact what it what it takes to make a movie over another two episodes of TV, mm-hmm. I just know that that they ultimately would have had more money by going this route. Oh, honestly, no, film it the theaters. exact same way, but just yeah, I, cut it, cut the cut the sandwich in half. Yeah, but I guess uh, I'm just talking about like schedules. Like if you're on a TV schedule, and they, they do talk about like Vince talks about how they would have to shoot eight pages a day on a TV schedule, and in this film they could shoot. One or two pages a day. Okay. So it kind of helps get all the nice shots that you okay, want to get. Okay, what about like, but like one of those Netflix two-part series? You know? Yeah. Look, I'm not disagreeing with you there, yeah. but um, I don't know. I I honestly don't mind, and I kind of like that it's a movie, so to speak. Okay. And hopefully it's nominated for Oscars. <clears throat> no, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Well, I think they are trying to make it eligible because they have a little theatrical run in the US, which I wish I could have saw this in a theater, but, you know, yeah. oh, well. It, I have to is. give a shout. I think the, the cinematography is great. This film it's crisp mm. as fuck <laughs> chris af so you high right. scenes right okay um i got a few scenes i did want to talk a bit about again i think the walt flashback is great i really like that i think jesse's meeting with ed like when he's trying to convince him like i know who you are you i'm 96 percent mm. sure you're the guy i liked all that um and uh, honestly, when Jane showed up in the... Oh, I forgot. That was Kristen Ritter. Jane, she's in this for like a second as well. I always thought that was funny. 
like I would like I always thought her relationship was not nearly as important. In it, when I think back to that show, right, I think of Andrea more than I suppose. But um, I I don't know. I, I guess she's a definitely a part, especially when um Jesse finds out that Walt was there when she died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes more sense. Uh, I, I don't know. I could just I could kind of see having rewatched the show so many times. I can kind of see the little sprinkles they put in there where she was very important to Jesse. Yeah. You know, even though it was very short-lived. Was she, she was more important. important than Andrea was? I I don't know. I really don't know, to be Especially honest. Especially given the letter to Brock. Wouldn't it have made more sense that that was Andrea at the end? Uh, I don't I think I think even though he has that tie with Andrea, I think, I think Jane represents something a little deeper to him. I mean, I have, you know... Like an innocence? I, no, maybe. Well, I, you know, so if I look back to, like, I've had a few relationships, and mm-hmm. it's like, regardless of the order of the... There is certain, you know, women in my life who have different... They represent different things to mm-hmm. me. I, so even though I may have, like, a closer relationship with this one person and we've gone through, like, more, we've done more things, there's still other people now in different relationships that even though I didn't know them as long or we didn't do as much, they still represent something specific. And I think that's what Jane is to Jesse in a lot of ways. I guess, but I also feel like if we're talking about representation in that scene, we're talking about the new life or the quiet life mm. or the the life of real peace, basically. Yeah. Well, she's Which telling I- him, don't listen to my logic. Do your own, go your own road, do your own route. Yeah, but I, I, I guess, but I, I feel like, in the context of what's happening there, where Jesse's finally choosing his own road, he's mm-hmm. going down that path, that peaceful path. I feel like Andrea would have represented more because he wanted that peaceful life. He liked the idea of being a father figure to a boy, right? And representing like that quieter, more serene you know, nuclear family-esque lifestyle. And I feel like maybe her in that scene would have been more appropriate. But I do see your point. Like, Mm -hmm. she often, the relationship that he had with, uh, what's her name again? What's her name? Uh, Jane. Jane. Yep. Um, Was definitely more, uh, like, like they talked about that stuff more, definitely. Mm -hmm. And the scene is quite appropriate, uh, given... What, what's happening in the film yeah, but yeah. I don't know I always look back on that part of season like that's one of the f- parts of the show I'm sort of always a bit like it's not as not my like in my Jesse big moments thing right okay mainly because he's he's out cold for when what happens to <laughs> Jane too isn't he that's fair but I guess it, it does lead him into this it still turns into a Walt thing Walt's relationship it, with Jane it does it does well especially the relationship with him and Jesse in particular mm. those two but I don't know I did, the reason I mention it in highlights is because it did actually get me quite emotional I was like wow like I kind of forgot because you are following Jesse's story and you mm-hmm. get a lot of that in the show but you're not really watching the show from Jesse's perspective all that much mm-hmm. but then when you when you sit back and you watch from his perspective and and knowing how you know you disagree but knowing how important Jane is to him that was like a you know, I guess it's because what happens between him and Jane, they you know they get back and they're addicted to drugs. It's mm. heroin, I think it is. Yeah, at the yeah. Time. Um, whereas Andrea's character is so much more pure in that sense. She's way more uh, grant like the life that he wants rather than at that point that was the life that he had with Jane. Yeah. I mean, her death is a result of them doing drugs together more than anything. It's um, Walt didn't kill them, 
killer. It was they OD'd and Walt was just a witness to it. He could have done no. something, but he didn't. But yeah. I, I guess it's. I mean, it's, it's it's a choice, right? It's a it's a choice. Yeah. And, well, you know, it's all. Yeah. It's all what it is. Um. No, so my I think my actual proper highlight scene would probably be the one of Jesse physically breaking into the apartment mm. and just that really cool kind of shot that goes down. We follow him as he's trying to get in. The guy with the the water can is slowly coming up and then they have a nice cool focus to it. I, yeah. just, I just really loved it. I was like, that was dope and that was some awesome camera work. So, yeah. Cool. No worries. Well, El Camino. So your favorite scene was obviously the, the wall scene. scene. Cool. Absolutely. Easy. Beautiful. Cute, big kudos. Give, a, give 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 Brian Cranston an Oscar for that <laughs> 10 minutes he's in the film. Guest star appearance in a movie. Haha. What's God, he's got to be in something soon. Get him in. Get him in another oh, movie. Oh, he's in plenty. He's just, he's just quiet about it. I need more movies. Brian Cranston stuff in my life. I need more trumbos. More trumbos in our lives. Yeah. No worries. Well, El Camino is currently out in, on Netflix. On the old net of flicks. Here in the US, get one of the limited release screenings, I guess. Yeah, no. And drums. hopefully it's on Blu ray. I hope it comes out home release soon. Yeah. So what's new in theaters this week? There's a lot. There is a lot. There's actually a lot. I'll I'll run down through the list very quickly. So Zombieland Double Tap, the sequel to Zombieland I'm is so meh on this. Yeah, film. same. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, it's impressive that they're all back, but I just I don't know, it just it looks okay. I probably won't watch it in a theater. Mm. Uh we got Maiden or Madden. I think it's Maiden, which mm. is a doco about, about Tracy Edwards, the sailor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judy, which is a biopic, Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. So that's coming out this week. Uh, Slam, which is something I've heard a lot. They've actually done post work at Backlot on that film. So that's out this week, I believe. And uh, <laughs> I've included this one just as a laugh the laundromat. Thought you would have a good laugh at Wait, that. Wait, what? One. It's called the laundromat. It's got Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, and Antonio Banderas. What the frick? What's that's a real be- movie. It's coming to Netflix. I'm going to watch that. That sounds, that's an exciting cast. <laughs> little, little shout out to Danny there, the laundromat. Mm-hmm. That was quite funny. Um, all right. And then these three are coming to Luna this week, The Portal and Frank Parallel Stories and Strange But True. Cool. So, yeah. Awesome, exciting picks. But next week. We're not watching any of those. <laughs> we have a director's corner. Ooh. And we're actually going We're going back in time Whoa. to another Western from a oh. modern day Western to a real western, <laughs> a real, not only a real western, Hallmarked is probably one of the best, if not the best western of all time. Whoa, Jake, what are we watching? We are watching Once Upon a Time in the West. The widow, the land grabber, the outlaw. Gunman. The man in search of a name. There's a single piece of land around Flagstone with water on it, and Rail Baron Morton aims to have it, knowing the new railroad will have to stop there. He sends his henchman, Frank, to scare off the landowner, McBain, but Frank kills him instead and pins it on a known bandit, Sinead. Meanwhile, the mysterious gunslinger with a score to settle and McBain's new wife, Jill, arrive in town. This film was directed by Sergio Leone. Whoa! And is our That's next... That's a fun name to say. It's a cool name. <laughs> uh, a lot of people know Sergio Leone. He is kind of the quintessential spaghetti western man 
and is also one of the best people, best filmmakers of all time. We're just going to say best people ever. Just best people. Good guy. <laughs> He's a good guy. What's Upon a Time in the West is one of the quintessential Westerns. Jake has never seen this film. I've never seen it. I haven't watched a lot of Westerns, to be honest, other than El Camino. Mm. Well, <laughs> this is probably my favourite Western of all time. I'm very excited to talk about it next week on the yeah, show. Yeah, this will be our third once yeah. in the show. Once, once upon a time in Hollywood, and now once upon a time in the West. Wow, heavy. You, you would think we'd only have once, once, but we've had it three times. I hate you so much. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow <laughs> podcast. I was Zeke. I'm Jake. I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you next week with Once Upon a Time in the West. Pew, pew.